G'day. Um, I am fortunate enough to be reading the Bible today. Um, so if you want to open up to Mark chapter 6, verse 30. And while you do that, I'll practice the first two verses so that those two will be perfect. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of him. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy two hundred denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups, by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all, and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsheda, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken, them, taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against him. And about the fourth watch of the night he came to them, walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost, and cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they came to the land at Gennarusset, and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him, and ran about the whole region, and became and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came, in the villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces, and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment, and as many as touched it were made well. Thank you. Thanks, Liam. Good evening, everybody. You're still there? You're awake? <laughs> this time last week, Rosemary and I were in South Australia, where uh, my dad had turned 90, and uh, we had the opportunity to go down there and have some time with him. 
celebrate, just a small celebration, but it was just nice to be there. A few weeks before that, he was close to death and um, had a nasty bowel situation and uh, it nearly claimed his life. So it was just a, a lovely time to be able to go there and spend. He loves the Lord. And uh, the beautiful thing is he was ready to go. Isn't that lovely? When you know the Lord Jesus, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter when the Lord calls you. Here, Lord, I'm ready to go whenever you are. And I think that's so important. Trust that all of you tonight are in that place where if the Lord were to call you um, and your life was to come to an end, that you would know exactly where you're going. That's so important. There's nothing more important than that. Anyway, that's not the sermon, so I better keep going, haven't I? Got a lot to get through. We won't cover everything, but there's a few little nuggets that I trust that we'll pick up as we, uh, as we go along. Hey, let's just pray together as we uh, come to God's word. Uh, loving Father, thank you already for a precious time. Thanks for the band that leads us. Thank you for those that have just practiced and you know, prayed and, and uh, Lord, laid themselves before you and, and offered their gifts and their talents back to you as their, as their uh, um, sacrifice of love and, and their offering of service to you. And we thank you for them tonight. And uh, we bless you for this precious moment that brings us together, this, this time together we can have, Lord, where you're here right in the midst of us and we pray that you'll break the bread of your word to us that we might feed on you and uh, be the better for it go from this place nourished and refreshed and ready to share with someone else uh, the things that you've shared with us so lord we want to surrender ourselves afresh into your hands again tonight as we come to your word in jesus precious name amen just a couple of days ago i read a, a really interesting story um I don't advise that we do this, but it was just one of those stories that grabbed my attention. And I'm not even sure how it fits into the sermon tonight, to be honest, but I'm going to tell it to you anyway, and we'll see, we see where it goes. But this was a true story. It goes like this. I think it must happen in America. Police found it hard to believe that an unarmed housewife captured three burglars single-handedly. The woman had come home and found three men loading household items into their car parked in her driveway. She pulled her van behind their car and then ordered the men, get this bit, and then ordered the men to carry her belongings back into the house and sit on the couch until the police arrived. Later, when asked, why didn't they escape? She replied, well, the Lord was with me. I wasn't going to move my van so they could get away. What was I to do? To run away? Isn't that amazing? I don't advise you to do that. But, and I don't even know how that fits into my sermon. Perhaps, perhaps the fact that she said the Lord is with me. Because the title of my message tonight is that he is so trustworthy is he. God is so amazingly trustworthy. And, uh, and um, this was a miracle. And we're going to be talking about miracles tonight as well. So um, let's, let's launch into this. Um, God certainly honoured her trust. There's no question about that in, in a most bizarre kind of way. Well, in Mark chapter 6, where we're coming to tonight, uh, you may have noticed, um, uh, if we read the whole thing, that it's a very busy chapter. There's so much packed into this chapter. There are at least five different events of, of Jesus' ministry with his disciples. You know, and when you look at the kind of events there are, it, it, you've got to recognise too that these were quite emotionally charged and taxing events. 
These sorts of things took a lot out of the disciples and Jesus as well. Can, ministry can be pretty, uh, pretty taxing um, and uh, pretty exhausting. Anyway, let me just give you a brief outline of these uh, things that happened here in the first part of the chapter here. Uh, before I want to spend a little bit more extra time in some other things as we get later in, into the chapter later on. So here we go. It's a brief outline of Mark chapter 6. Um, so from verses 1 to 6, we see that Jesus is rejected at Nazareth. And it would have to be one of the saddest days in Jesus' ministry. See, here, here, here is he and his disciples had left Capernaum and they had walked about 32 kilometres. It's about a day's walk back then to his hometown, only to be met with unbelief and cynicism regarding who he was by the people that knew him. Aren't you just Joseph? Aren't you just Jesus? We, we know who your, who your family are, you know, this kind of stuff. And uh, it, so it was unbelief and it was, they were cynical regarding who Jesus was to the point where Mark records this. He says in verse 4, and Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honour except in his own town, among his relatives and in his own home. And then Mark goes on and he says here in verses 5 and 6, he could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And verse 6, he was amazed at their lack of faith. There's a part where Jesus is amazed at the faith of other people, the centurion, and I think there's others that I can't remember now, but he was amazed at their faith. Here, he's amazed at their unbelief, their lack of faith. What a sad statement to make. You know, would Jesus have cause to say that today, do you think? Would he be amazed at our lack of faith sometimes? The good questions just to ponder and to reflect on and cause us to say, Lord, just you know, search my heart. I, I really want to be full on for you. Forgive me of my unbelief. Help me to believe you know, and trust you more. And then in verses um, 7 to 13, we see that Jesus sends out the 12 disciples on a brief missionary trip, missionary journey of Galilee. And I want to pick up more on this in, from, from verse 30 later on. And then we've got here from verses 14 to 29 in Mark 6, there is this account of the execution of John the Baptist that happened a little time before this. Um, and we see that Herod, Herod in his, I would, I would describe it as, as guilt-ridden superstition. That's what it was all about. He was guilty. And uh, he, didn't want to do, he didn't want to have John the Baptist executed. But anyway, you can read that story yourself. It's a long story and it's pretty complex. And there's a lot of lessons in that. But here he was, this guilt-ridden superstition. He thought that Jesus was John the Baptist raised from the dead. Look at verse 16. And though we can simply say, though John was dead, Jesus, Jesus is alive. He's alive. He's alive forevermore. He's the living one. And so the person of Jesus and the message of Jesus of truth, he is the truth, can never be silenced. They tried to silence John the Baptist, cut his head off. We don't like what he's saying. He can't do that with the truth. Doesn't matter how you try to stop it, it will always yell the louder. 
You can't silence truth. Anyway, so Mark continues uh, to record this truth as we will as we will see, as we just sort of delve a little bit longer, perhaps a little bit more deeper, uh, and pick up some of these beautiful gems that are in this gospel here. Uh, from verses 30 then to 44, the disciples return from their mission in Galilee. And uh, just a couple little points here. Mark uses the Greek noun for apostle. He uses the Greek noun apostolos, and that gives us the word apostle. And the word has the meaning of being sent. That's really what it means, or being sent on a mission. Sent one, apostle. In verse 30, the apostles, the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. They were excited. They saw marvelous things happen. They saw miracles, people set free, heal, you know, diseases healed, and so on and so forth. So they're excited. But Jesus notices something else. And I love the fact that Jesus sees these things in us even today. He saw the need, even before they knew it, he saw the need for his workers of the kingdom to have some time out for rest and recreation. He could see that very clearly. Look, at it, look what it says here in verses 31 and 32. Then, because so many people were coming and going and that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Isn't that amazing? See, sometimes one of the most spiritual things you can do is go away somewhere quietly and just get some rest. Get some rest. You know when you need to. Uh, well, do you? <laughs> I don't know whether we do sometimes. But you need to do that. Jesus says that. Come, isn't it beautiful? Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Verse 32, so they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. And you know, there are definitely times when each of us individually needs to withdraw from the cold face of your workplace, you know, and from the crowds. You need to withdraw to a quiet place to eat, if that's what, it, if that's what you need to do, to eat properly, you know, and to get rest and listen, to be alone with Jesus. Can I ask you tonight, when was the last time that you had one-on-one -on -one time with Jesus? Away from the crowd, away from the noise of everyday life. When did you last do that? And I know that our schedules are packed. Jesus was always busy too, but never in a hurry. Always had that time to spend with the Father. You and I need to do that. Words like emotional exhaustion and burnout, I believe, are becoming more and more common terms nowadays. Along with their unwelcomed experiences, you know, than ever before. I think, I believe that. I, I just think that's happening. And some of us know what that's like, first experience of it. You know, and look, just a practical solution. I don't know, you might have others, they might be better than what I'm offering, but we, you need to plan at least to take one, one 24-hour a day off each week. Pastors are told to do that. We aim to do that. It doesn't always happen, but we aim to do that. 
so that you've got one day, at least one day, where you know from the time you've woken up, the time you go to bed, that's going to be free for you to just simply relax, rest, get away, do some stuff to refresh your mind again and your heart, your, your time with Jesus. One, at least one 24-hour day off each week. And then to plan, put it in your diary to do that because it won't happen otherwise. And then at least three or four weeks each year. I think that's pretty fair. Where you can be rested, where you can be refreshed, where you can read that book. Perhaps it's a book that you've had on your shelf for ages and you've never gotten around to doing it. It might, be a, it might be a devotional book. It might be a Christian book. It might just be a book that you've wanted to do, wanted to read. You know what I mean? This is practical stuff. <clears throat> and I think it's good to do that. We need to do that. And we need to do that so that you can be refreshed and then so that the Lord can then use you to continue the race that's marked out for you. Okay. It's not just a race, by the way. The Bible says, I'm talking about Hebrews 12, 12 too, by the way. But it's, the, it's, the, it's a marathon. You need rest time so you can get back on that track and you can run that marathon with Jesus again. Otherwise, you will burn out. So you need to do these kinds of things. One Bible commentator by the name of Vance Havner, he said this, If you don't come apart and rest, you'll come apart. Good, isn't it? And he goes and he says, Even God's servant son needed time to rest fellowship with his friends and find renewal from the father and you've heard this before i'm sure you know each of us need to do that we would do well to to follow christ's example if christ did that how much more do we if you don't come apart and rest you'll come apart well having said all that about getting away from it all to a quiet place with the Lord. And it seems that that plan didn't work out so well for Jesus and his disciples. It was a good plan, but it just didn't seem to work out. Look what happens here. Verse 33 and 34. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. And you've got to ask the question, did Jesus not know? Did he not see that the crowds would follow him? What's going on here? Well, I believe Jesus did know. And I'll also say, I further believe that the Lord Jesus has all the resources, whether they're hidden or otherwise, that each of us will ever need at any given time. If he's with you, then you've got everything that you need. And we need to trust in him. And we need to follow his leading moment by moment, day by day, and trust him. Just like that housewife did. Paul reminds us of this in Philippians 4.19. This is a promise. God says through the Apostle Paul, and my God will meet... How many of your needs, by the way? Most of your needs. According... Does it say that? 
I'll bit of let me read that again. And my God will meet all, all your needs according to the, the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. And then remember Psalm 23. Now it also backs up that magnificent truth. The first verse of Psalm 23 says, say it with me, the Lord is my shepherd, shall not be in want. I shall not be in want. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. What is that? Isn't that amazing? What does that mean? That means that if he's my shepherd, I have everything that I need because it says I shall not be in want. He's got the resources. He is the resource. Even when we plan to do something, Lord, I need to do this. I need to get away. And you aim to do that. What happens? Just like this, he gets landed with this crowd. And yet the disciples didn't suffer. Let's keep looking at this. But when you think about it, didn't Jesus still have the right to be annoyed with this crowd? Don't you? He planned something, it seemed, and, and here they are. They've spoiled it all. Can't get away from them. Why? He had the right to be annoyed, don't you think? Because I reckon I would have been, perhaps you too would have been. You see, it, it seemed that they prevented him and his disciples from having a much-needed rest. But look at what we see here. But instead of being annoyed, Jesus was compassionate. He saw them not as annoying crowd, but as sheep without a shepherd. Verse 34 says that. He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. I love that. More teaching from Jesus. You know, I wonder if we are in that place ourselves, even tonight. Are you allowing Jesus to teach you many things as you spend time with him? He's got so much to teach you, so much more to, to teach you, so much more of the journey to take you on. You think you know a bit now? There's a whole lot more you don't know, and he wants to teach you those things. So open yourselves to him. Be open. Let him fill you with his spirit and let him teach you. Sheep. Sheep. Aren't they incredible creatures? Pitiful creatures in some ways. Because I, I, I don't think there's much else that's more pitiful or pathetic than to see a mob of sheep running in all directions when they're frightened or like, and they don't have a clue where to go or what to do. Have you ever seen them do that? They don't know who to follow. So a little group will go that way, another group will, they don't know, one will go that way, some will stand still, they don't know what to do. I remember seeing that. You've probably seen it too. too. But, but I can distinctly remember seeing that one day when we were on a drive and we had to stop and have a little break. We stopped near a sheep paddock. And they're always fascinating. It's always nice to walk over to a fence, isn't it? And watch the cows and the sheep and things. Don't you reckon? It's just me that does that? Yeah, probably. <laughs> but I can remember stopping once and <clears throat> near this sheep paddock and I walked over to the fence and just to have a, you know, have this, as I said, I'd have a break and, and, and to look at the sheep and when the sheep looked at me, they scattered. I don't blame them. <laughs> enough, enough cheek out of you guys tonight, here. But they scattered. Why did they scatter? Because they had no shepherd. The farmer wasn't there. They had no, nothing. 
There was no shepherd to call them. There was no shepherd to direct them or to teach them. They didn't know what to do or where to go. That's what sheep are all about. They are, as someone has said, stupid animals. And they're completely helpless, powerless to do anything to themselves, really, in terms of looking up, protecting themselves. And, you know, I think that's why Jesus speaks to, to us about being sheep. Jesus sees our lost humanity in a very similar way. You see, apart from him, we have, listening to this, apart from Jesus, we have no direction and no protection. I believe that. The prophet Isaiah certainly saw this and he described us in a very similar way or the same way. Listen to what he says. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Because we really are straying like sheep. Without Jesus, we're like sheep who have gone astray. We've turned our own way. We don't know where to go, what to do. And we are completely unprotected, I believe. So thank God, bless the Lord, for Jesus, our shepherd and our saviour, who saw us not with contempt, but with compassion. There's the difference. You see, he's the one who did lay down his life for his sheep. He's the one who laid down his life, as we've just been sharing on the communion table tonight, for our sins. This shepherd gave his life for his sheep, you and me. Now, can I ask you tonight, you know, do you know this shepherd? Do you recognise his voice in your own heart? And are you following his commands in your life? Because you see, without him, you go astray. That's just simply human nature. Without the shepherd, you're vulnerable and you'll go astray and you're not protected. You're open to everything. And that's why Jesus has compassion because he saw the crowd as sheep without a shepherd. So vulnerable. Let's keep moving on. Verses 35 to 37, we read this. By this time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. Now, it, it seemed a reasonable thing to do, don't you think? There was a massive crowd, over 5,000. Because only 5,000 men it talked about here. It wasn't about women and children. They weren't counted in it. So it was a massive group. So it did seem a reasonable thing to do, to just to say to the crowd, you know, by that time of the day in a remote place, have I gone off the air? Um, but Jesus had something else in mind. He had other plans here. He didn't, wasn't just teaching the crowd. He wanted to teach his disciples as well. And in verse 37, Jesus uses what we call here, some of you would know, an emphatic personal pronoun to emphasise exactly what he wanted them to do. And so he said, and I'm not quite sure how he would have said that, but it's basically, 
look, Lord, you know, send the crowd away, da, 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 and let them go and, get, go and get their own food. Jesus said, you feed them. You give them something to eat. It's an emphatic you. You're going to do it. And the way the disciples responded to what Jesus said showed they understood exactly what he was asking of them. Because they say this, they said this in the next verse. Um, they, they said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? So they knew what Jesus was asking. One commentator, he said this, the reply of the disciples showed the inadequacy of their resources and the impossibility of meeting his demand. And of course, the lesson that Jesus wanted them, and I believe us, to learn was that, that they needed to, 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 sorry, to, to trust in our own resources if we do that. If we were to trust and rely on what we can provide, on our own resources, we will, all, we will discover that we will always turn up inadequate, insufficient and incomplete. I believe that. You trust in your own resources, we'll turn up that way. Inadequate, insufficient, incomplete. C.H. Spurgeon, he said this, Speaking about the disciples, he said, they calculated the need, but forgot the omnipotence which is at hand to meet it. The omnipotence talking about God's God's all-powerfulness. They calculated the need, but they forgot the omnipotence or God's all-powerfulness which is at hand to meet it. How often we do things like that. It's typical, isn't it? So typical of our human thinking. How often... In our everyday lives, do we calculate, but we forget the Creator? And we so easily forget the but God factor in our personal circumstances. Do you know what I mean? Because we'll say to, think, we'll say to each other, we'll th- we might say to ourselves, what on earth am I going to do? How am I going to do this? Look at what I'm facing here. But how often do we say, but God... Yeah, look what I'm facing. It's impossible. I can't do this, but God. You see, there's the but God factor, which I believe we often forget. And as Christians, you always, always have him. Because he says that. I am with you. How often? Always. Even until the end of the world. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And we all, me included, So often, forget the but God factor. That but God is with me and he's facing what I'm facing. He sees what I see and he's with me in it. And then Jesus asks his disciples, okay, how many loaves do you have? He asked, go and see. Go and see what you have. Tell me what you've got. Go and find out how much we have amongst us all. And we know that when you read John's gospel of this same account, that it was Andrew who found the lad with his lunch and who was willing to give it all to Jesus. 
He was willing to give it all to Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? Whatever you think is small in your life, Lord, I haven't got much, but here it is. I'm giving it all to you. That's the trick. That's the secret. Don't measure what you've got. You give it all to Jesus. Here, Lord, I'm, I'm all yours. I'm not much, but here it is. I'm all yours. Like this young bloke did with his lunch. Didn't have much, but he gave it all to Jesus. Look what happens. Anyway, let me read what happens with John here, how he describes that. John chapter 6, this is in, verses 8 to 9. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves. Notice the word small. There were five small barley loaves and there's, and there's here we go, and two small fish. But how far will they go amongst so many? And you know, this particular account of God's word always reminds me of a song that I heard as a young believer. It's amazing when you hear Christian songs, how that can just imprint and teach you things about God, you know, God's word in your, in your life. I remember hearing this song, and some of you would know it, um, and, the, um, and it describes exactly what Jesus did and what he wants us to learn, even from this. This is the song. It goes like this. I'm not going to sing it. You'll be happy. Take a breath. But I'm going to read. The, I want to read. And the lyrics will come up there. You may or may not be able to read this. But uh, let me read it to you. It goes like this. Just ordinary people. God uses ordinary people. He chooses people just like me and you. Who are willing to do as he commands. God uses people that will give him all. No matter how small your all may seem to you. Because little, this is the trick, this is, this is the secret here today. Because little becomes much as you place it in the master's hands. Isn't that powerfully true? Little becomes much when you place it in the master's hands. And it goes on and it says this, Just like that little lad who gave Jesus all he had, how the multitude was fed with a fish and loaves of bread. What you have may not seem much, but when you yield it to the touch of the master's loving hand, then you'll understand how your life could never be the same. Don't ever think, God, who am I? You can't use me really, God. Well, who would have thought that, that a multitude of over, well over 5,000 people would be fed with such a small, meager little lunch? It's a beautiful song. It's a lovely song. You might be able to hear it on YouTube. I'm sure you can. That describes this magnificent miracle of how Jesus fed, as I said, well over, I don't know, could be close to, I don't know, seven, 8,000 people, I guess. How he did that. And it describes this, this magnificent miracle, that song. You know, if you include the women and children, it, that, it would be easily that, that amount. With five, with five small barley loaves and two small fish. And then that wasn't the end of it. Was there any leftovers, by the way? I mean, did they get to the end and it was just that was it and everybody'd fed a bit, was still looking for more? What happened? Do you remember? What happened after that? They collected, Trace, you got it right, love, yeah. They collected 12 basketfuls of leftovers. I like how Warren Rosby describes it. He says this Jesus took the little lunch, blessed it broke it and gave it to the disciples to distribute to the hungry people listen to what he says he says the miracle took place in his hands not theirs 
for whatever we give to him he can bless and multiply we are not the manufacturers we are merely the only the distributors we take what he gives us to others we don't manufacture it we are not the authors of anything or particularly good news but we do give it out we share what jesus has shared for us we're not the manufacturers we're only the distributors and then matthew henry says this <clears throat> this miracle was significant <clears throat> and shows that Christ also came into the world to be the great feeder as well as the great healer not only to restore but to preserve and nourish spiritual life and in him there is enough for all that come to him enough to fill the soul to fill the whole person none are sent away empty from Christ except those that come to him who are full of themselves you come to Jesus full of yourself then you won't probably get much from him come to him empty and say Lord I am empty I need you to fill me a lot of people out there in the world you've got friends that are in that, exactly that boat they think no I've got it all I don't need any more thank you I've got all that I need God no I don't want God in my life they're empty they are empty shadows of people they need Christ to fill them perhaps he'll use you to do that Give Jesus what you have. Let him feed the multitudes. It might just be the people around your, your, your particular workplace. I don't know. God knows. But we need to give to him and trust him as we do. So the next account that Mark records in this chapter is... <clears throat> and I better keep moving quickly actually. When Jesus sends his disciples on ahead of him in a boat to Bethsaida verse 46 45 46 immediately and that's typically how mark talks immediately this immediately that it's one of the, the one of the typical features of mark's writing immediately jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd after leaving them he went up on a mountainside to pray again jesus um jesus knew the needs of his disciples that they required peace and quiet after such a demand on them physically emotionally spiritually so he sent them off he sent them into a storm now what's going on here what was the lord thinking did he not see that there was a storm coming these guys are pretty exhausted i would have thought they'd be exhausted after all that time and here jesus sends them down and he sends them into the storm Jesus is all we need if he's in the boat then he's all we need we're in the right place whether you're in a storm or not and you know, maybe you've wondered the same thing maybe you've, you've you know you've faced no doubt you have if you're living on planet earth like me you've been through various storms in your life and let me tell you good news you've got more to go <laughs> there's more storms coming people you know and I wonder if we think the same Lord I'm not ready for this I don't want to go in any storms. I need rest. I want to get away from it. I don't want to go into a storm. I'm not ready. So who's doing the calculating there? Again, it's typically us. We're, we're calculating without the Creator. We're being wise in our own eyes. Jesus, you're all that I need. I just need to trust you. You're worthy for my trust. And the Lord Jesus also knew that he, that he needed 
for himself. He needed to separate from the crowd and he needed to get alone with his heavenly father in prayer and that's what he did. And again, as I've said to you before, I'll say it again, if Jesus needed those times in his life to be alone with his heavenly father, to get away from the crowds, how much more do you and I need to make that time alone with our father in heaven? and have time out with him let me keep moving meanwhile mark records these words from verses 47 52 later that night the boat was in the middle of the lake and he was alone on the land he saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them shortly before dawn he went out to them walking on the lake he was about to pass them by but when he saw them but when sorry but when they saw him walking on the lake they thought he was a ghost and they cried out because they all saw him and were terrified immediately he spoke to them and said take courage it is I don't be afraid then he climbed into the boat with them and the wind died down they were completely amazed and again it's a sad verse but there it is verse 52 for they had not understood about the loaves their hearts were still hardened or their hearts were hardened and here's Jesus, so full of grace and mercy, so trustworthy. He knew that they hadn't yet got it. And he still sticks with us. Isn't that amazing? And though I've read this account, I'm sure you have many times over and over, I still find it amazing. I find it humbling, but I find it comforting to know that I have a saviour. I have a saviour who never becomes distracted, and a God who is ever watchful over me and never slumbers. Jesus saw exactly what was going on. When you're going through the storm, the ones you've been through, the ones that you are yet to go through, when you're going through those things, Jesus sees that. He sees exactly what you're seeing and he sees exactly how you're feeling. He knows exactly what you're going through. He is watchful, ever watchful over you. Never slumbers, never sleeps. One of my favourite, uh, one of mum's favourite, was, was read at her funeral, it's been one of my favourites ever since, was Psalm 121. It goes like this. Listen to what I've just said. He's the God that never slumbers nor sleeps. He watches over you. The psalmist says exactly that. Listen, Psalm 121, write it down, read it before you go to bed tonight. I lift up my eyes to the hills or the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and your going both now and forevermore. The psalmist wrote that. Jesus did that as he was up there on the mountainside praying, seeing exactly what was going on with his disciples, seeing that they were straining, seeing that there was opposition against them. He saw it all and he came to them. I'm going to keep rolling through here. Um, I want a couple of quotes. I'm finished. Uh, from, w, from W. Graham Scroggy in his commentary says this, Christ has continuous observation of us from on high. Isn't that magnificent? He sees the winds of temptation, of persecution and affliction that beat upon us, the storms that rage and threaten to overwhelm us, 
Sometimes it seems as though the ship will be wrecked unless he comes soon. But always, listen to this, but always at the right time, Jesus meets us and he speaks his words of assurance to us. And they're beautiful words. Underline them, make them yours. Take courage. It is I, don't be afraid. Remember that when you go through your next storm. Trust Jesus. Final thought from an application from Warren Worsby says, as you review these two miracles, you see that Jesus Christ brings provision and protection. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I shall not be in want. I will fear no evil. If we trust him, we will always have sufficiency and security no matter what the situation might be he says the important thing is that we trust him you're trusting him tonight you see he is trustworthy you'll never be disappointed when you trust Jesus don't lean on your own understanding trust in the Lord with all your heart what am I quoting now Proverbs 3 5 and 6 trust in the Lord with all your heart lean not on your own understanding in all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths amen let's pray yeah, loving Father, thank you for your word and thank you for these beautiful lessons that we read and, and that we can be nourished by as we um, read through the, the, this magnificent account of Jesus and his disciples in Mark chapter 6. Lord, thank you so much. You're a trustworthy God. Help us no matter what storms we go through, what predicaments we may be in. Lord, help me. Help us all to be able to lay hold of you and know that you're the God who lays hold of us. You're the one that comes alongside us, the one that gets in the boat with us, the one who knows how to calm the storms, the one who knows how to feed a multitude with the meager that we have a gifting. You're a beautiful God. You're a magnificent God. We just want to be caught up with you. Pray you do that, even though... Over this next, uh, over tomorrow, this public holiday, may we have that time when we can rest and, and, and just perhaps ponder some of the things that you've been saying to us and know how to put it into practice. So we may grow, mature, and be anchored firmly, deeply in the things of God. So that when those storms do come, that we have an anchor that, we're, that holds in the storm. We thank you, Father. We bless you. We commit ourselves to you and each other in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <laughs>